Thanks for listening to the New Life Church Searcy podcast. If you'd like to get connected to what God is doing at the Searcy campus, you can text the word Searcy to 88000. There you can give online, get connected to a life group, find your place in a serve team, and so much more. You can also find today's message notes in the YouVersion Bible app. Just tap the link in the episode description to follow along during the sermon and save notes directly to your phone. Now prepare your hearts to hear a great word from God today. All right, well, good morning to everybody here. Listen, if this is your first time at our church, welcome. If this is not your first time, welcome back. And so um, this is normally the time in the service where I make a snide remark about Razorback football, but uh, I'm just not in the mood today to do any of that, so I'm not going to do that. Um, Listen, today I'm going to um, be speaking on the topic of control And um, we had just come off of a a five-part series on Don't Be That Couch. And then uh, last week we had Thad Hill here, uh, and uh, he just spoke from his heart last week. It was so, so good. And thank you for those of you who made it help us to make a contribution to the Timothy Hill Ranch uh, locally. And um, I'm just so um, honored that we we can be a part of something like that that does so much good for young young boys. So thank you for your giving in, in that. We all know what control looks like. Control looks like a steering wheel in your hand. I mean, you are the ones and I am the one that is controlling the friction of our car and making sure that it turns in the right way, the centripetal force, if you will. Control is holding a dollar bill and knowing what you're going to do with it, how you're going to spend it, where it's going to go what you want it to impact or affect. That's a sense of control. Food is a sense of control. What you and I get to put into our bodies that fuel it, that rest it, that make it work properly or improperly, um, that's a sense of control. But we also know what a lack of control looks like, okay? So men, this is what I, I want you to do. I want you to look at your wife right now And I want you to tell me what she's thinking, okay? Just look at her and just pull a thought from her right right now, okay? As, As a corporate exercise, why don't we look at this light bulb and see if we can't concentrate enough on it to make it turn off? Now, production, no jokes here, okay? It ruins the whole sermon if you turn that off. Or what if I said, why don't we all just take a moment and levitate? Why don't we just lift our bodies from the chair and, and float some, okay? We, we can't do it because we don't have control over those things. So those three silly examples uh, reveal to us that we cannot control thoughts or physical matter or gravity. There's plenty in our scientific world that you and I are out of control of. And there's also plenty in our situational lives that we're out of control of. But one big thing that we all know about control, and that is this, we want more of it. It's something that for some reason feels like a blanket to us. When we feel that we are in control, when we feel like we have our hand on something in our lives and we are the one who is pushing the buttons or pulling those levers, It brings a sense of peace to us. 
whether it's a family dynamic, whether it's something at your career, whether it's something involving the lives of your children, even your spiritual life, if you can feel like you are in control, the result for you is some measure of peace. It brings some type of comforting outcome to you. So this morning, I'm going to look at a scene in Scripture and This is where the desire for control is happening. It's unfolding in this text that we're going to look at. And it's happening with the apostles. And it's very important for us to recognize that as we talk about this, as we go into this scene that we're going to unfold this morning, that we recognize that this is happening to followers of Jesus and that it's also happening while Jesus is present. Okay? And so let's go to Matthew chapter 8, if you've got the Bible app or your Bible there with you, and we're going to look at verses 23 through 27. If you don't have either of those, we're going to show you on the screen this morning. This is from the NIV. Then he got into the boat, talking about Jesus, and his disciples followed him. And suddenly a furious storm came up on the water, so that the waves swept over the boat. But Jesus was sleeping. Verse 25. And the disciples went and woke him and they said, Lord, save us. We're going to drown. And he replied, you of little faith, why are you so afraid? And he got up and rebuked the winds and the waves and it was completely calm. And the men were amazed. What kind of man is this that even the winds and the waves can obey him? So let's start with a rhetorical question here this morning, and it's this. Have you ever felt out of control? And I want you to maybe take a situation that's present or past in your life, and I want you to kind of hold it close to your chest this morning and think about it. Have you ever felt the feeling of out of control? And I want you to let that stew in your spirit for just a moment. Revisit the emotions that come with that the rational or irrational thoughts that come with that when you felt like life was out of control for you. Maybe it was on a plane. I've been on a plane before. It felt a little out of control. Um, maybe you've had a sick child. You think, man, I can't do anything, and this is bothersome to me, and it's fearful to me, and I can't, I can't fix this. So you felt out of control. Maybe you had a house fire, and so you had to sit and watch as things that were important to you or that you've collected over time go up in flames. Or maybe you've shopped at Walmart, and, and you've just felt out of control in there, man. I mean, if it's, if it's any time after 10 o'clock, it's just a different breed of folks in there, y'all. And, and so you look around, and you go, man, I want to get out of here. I feel so out of control. Whatever your experience is, it's always a challenge to, in that moment, okay? I'm not talking about out of that moment where it's easy to talk about, but in that moment of being out of control, it can become very difficult for us to live by faith. Living by faith is so cliche or can be when we're not in that moment, but when you're in it, when you're experiencing it right then in your life, a moment of something that is out of your hand and out of your grasp and it's too big for you, then you've got to live by faith. You've got to trust that where you end, God begins, and we trust him to do the impossible in our lives. 
Living by faith is so easy to talk about in a life group or a Sunday school setting or over coffee or when it's someone else. But it's another thing entirely to actually live something out by faith. So I think living by faith can be similar to how people can talk about losing weight, right? It's so encouraging sometimes to just make a choice and go, I'm going to lose some weight. And so you begin to talk it out with your friends, and it almost seems silly because you haven't lost anything, but you're talking it up. And so you say things like, I don't know if you noticed, but I, I got a 10 fitness sticker on my car. Or you say things like, I don't know if you noticed, but I went to Lululemon and bought me some shorty shorts. Or you say, I don't know if you noticed, but I'm drinking from a gallon jug I bought at Harps. I just punched a hole in the top and put a straw down in there. I'm going to suck this thing dry by noon. You had not lost anything. You got a Twix in your desk and you can't wait to get to it. But just the talking about it. Feels good. I think sometimes when we talk about living by faith and acting out things in faith, that's how we do it. If we talk it out in a life group or over coffee or with a friend, we feel like, like we're doing it until you get in a moment where you're out of control and you actually have to apply something by faith. So the truth is living by faith is not in our nature. What is in our nature, as this story is going to reveal to us, is to freak out. What's in our nature is to become overwhelmed anytime that you and I cannot put our hand on something and say, I'm going to take control over this and it's going to be okay. The story is going to reveal that fear is an interesting emotion. Fear can come on you in seconds. It can come on you as small as a flying bug in your car or as large as a flying bug in your car. Okay, you ever seen somebody get a bug in their car and just freak out and almost hit people and run into a ditches over? Sometimes that's how an out-of-control situation grabs you and I, and we go to swatting and flailing and trying to make something happen, and in so we endanger somebody else. So let's hop into a few of these thoughts from the story of Matthew chapter 8. The first thing I want to talk out with you this morning is this. Stillness does not equate to weakness. When Jesus says this, the King James, James Version uses this, be still, peace, be still. And we know the outcome of that. The storm was stilled. And sometimes he's calling us still in the middle of our conflict, in the middle of our, our being out of control, he is calling us to a position of stillness, to just know that he's God to take confidence in it, to just embrace stillness. And that does not equate to weakness. Because I think in our nature, again, we want to do something about it. And doing something about it equates to us maturity. I'm a grown-up. I'm supposed to be doing something. I'm supposed to be thinking this out. I'm supposed to have a strategy. I'm supposed to be a difference maker in this circumstance. And sometimes the Lord is calling us, hey, you got to be still. This is a growing point for you. And you need to be still in the middle of your conflict. When you're out of control, he may be saying, peace, be still to you as a point of growth. And you've got to get it here and in your heart that stillness does not equate to you being weak. Psalm 4610, be still and know that I am God. In this story, be still also means stay in the boat. 
All right? Stay in it. Don't panic. Don't run. Don't abandon ship. And the most used phrase, this is crazy, but do you know that the most used phrase from people on a plane experiencing turbulence is? I want off this plane. Okay, do you really? Okay, really, you, you want out? And you need to think about this because what you're going through right now may be the largest growing point of your life for this entire year. It may be the exact spiritual lesson that God is trying to teach you and grow you in for the last 12 months of your life. Stay in it. Stay in the boat. Stay where he is. Know that he is present. And if you've got to take your hands off of something and put it in your pocket, it is okay to be still. Don't, don't consider yourself weak. Consider yourself wise. When life is out of control, a lot of times we don't think with rationale. It is when life is out of control that people say things like, I want a divorce. Or they say, let's just, let's just use the credit card. Or they say, I quit. Or they say, let's sell our kids. Okay, th th this is when you're not thinking right. When you're out of control, when there is conflict. But here is one thing I know. When people try and run from pressure, when people try and run from someone or something, somehow that pressure, someone or something always ends up in their suitcase. Just because you make a move, just because you quit and walk off, just because you get out of the boat does not mean that this thing is finished. It always ends up somehow in your suitcase. And if we took a poll this morning, there is no doubt that in, in, in this room, mentally and emotionally or spiritually or relationally, there are some of you in this room this morning who are still dealing with conflict from a year ago or five years ago or 10 years ago. That you're still struggling with, I got to deal with this. I got to finish this. Did I do the right thing? Why does this still come around at every season of the, the year? Why is it every time that that person is around, I get these emotions? Why is it at this certain time of my life, this always tends to come back like a wave in the ocean? Because you can't leave it behind until you've dealt with it. So if, if you're a note taker, I want you to write this down. What you are not willing to deal with today will be back tomorrow. What you're not willing to deal with today will be back tomorrow. So one of the best things for us to do is stay put, ride the storm, trust God, don't lean into the conflict, lean into the learning experience, know that when you see the end of this, you're going to be better and you're going to be stronger and you're going to be more faith-filled, and that was his plan the entire time. You and I can create more chaos with an exit plan than if we just stand still. I don't know if you have any of those stories, but I have a pocket full of times in my life where I felt pressure and pulled the parachute. Times where I felt pressure or embarrassment or shame or felt like I should have been able to fix it. And I got embarrassed from it, 
And because of that, I found the first exit sign and I left something. And I left it undone. And then a year later, guess what I'm trying to fix? The same thing. We create more chaos by developing an exit plan if we will just rest in the Lord and be still and know that he's God. Mark chapter 6, verse 48 says this. He saw the disciples straining at the oars because the wind was against them. So he sees them rowing. He sees them struggling with it. And here's the big piece about this. I've always found it interesting. There is no plan at all to abandon ship. The only plan was for them to keep doing what sailors do, which is row. And so if you take that and you equate it to our church this morning, when you're in conflict, you do what believers do. You keep believing. You keep praying. You keep trusting. You keep resting in God. There is no plan to abandon ship. You just keep doing what believers do, just like these sailors did what they knew to do. In the storm, they kept rowing. They kept on pushing through it. As followers, we have to keep on doing what we know to do, and that is to live by faith. Second thing this morning, there will be times that you know Jesus is near, but you think he's asleep. I want you to think again about that, that circumstance that I asked you to reel in tight this morning. A situation that you know God has not abandoned me, he is with me, he is still here, but it sure feels like he's taking a nap on this one. Anybody? I feel like God called a timeout. I feel like he hasn't answered. I feel like I don't feel his presence. I feel ostracized. I feel re re removed from this. And I know by scripture that he is near, but... I feel like he's taking a, a, a nap, and that's exactly what these men felt like. Jesus is so tired on, on this trip that he falls asleep in the bottom of a wooden fishing boat in a storm. That's a guy who needs a nap. Now, this part of the text is without doubt one of my favorite parts because we see him as both God and man. When he is sleepy, he acts like his mom. He's got this physical body. That physical body gets tired. When he stands up on the bow of the boat and talks to a storm and says, be quiet, he's acting like his father, the creator of, of the universe. These times when Jesus is asleep in your storm is an ordained time because they give us an opportunity to trust him. They give us great opportunity to believe in him, to grow our faith for it to be more than a story in the Bible, but to be something that's very applicable to your current circumstance. So God, it feels like you're asleep. I know you're with me because that's what my faith tells me, but it feels like you're asleep. So this is going to be a great time for me to grow and trust you. Keep in mind in this story that A, Jesus is with them, B, the disciples knew he was the Son of God. And three, they were still afraid. So I want that to give your storm that you might be in this morning some context. That here you are in a boat with Christ. You know he's there, but you're still afraid. 
Keep in mind that these were men who have seen miracles. They have heard with their physical ears the mysteries of heaven unveiled to them, and they're still afraid. So if you're in your storm this morning and you're afraid, it's okay. You just got to let your faith trumpet. You got to let, let your faith overpower it. Faith and fear can coexist for a moment, but one of them is going to win out. One of them is going to overpower the other. A conflict in our life, and the reason I want to normalize this is because a conflict in your life creates a lot of question marks. I don't know if you've ever gone through something just unspeakable, something that's terrible, something that's very, very difficult, but it can create a question mark of faith in your life. We have several in this room right now who have dealt with sudden death over the past month. Somebody in their very close circle has passed, and a lot of those were very unexpected. Those things can create question marks. You didn't have the closure you wanted. It didn't, it didn't unfold the way you wanted it to. You had things left over to say. You had more experiences to be had. It creates a question mark in, in your life. Why, why is this going on? Why did this have to end this way? It's, it, you start to feel that out of control because you would say, if I had it my way, this is what would have done. I would have said this. I would have done that. They would have said this to me. This is the way it would have done. It would have been less this way and, and, and so on and so on. And you would have developed a whole strategy for how this thing would have played out. But you can't control it. It's something in motion. And because of that, you have question marks. Well, you're not by, by yourself. Every person in here has had a question mark in their faith. Abraham had a question mark. And the answer that God gave him was, is anything too hard for God? He was asking him this as a filter. Is anything too hard for me? Abraham, I want you to look over your life, and I, I want you to tell me, has anything ever been done in your life that was too hard for me? Is anything too hard? This was an attempt at getting Abraham to stop looking at his conflict and start looking at what he knew about God by faith. Putting yourself in a position to feed off what God has done rather than what he is doing or has not done, rather instead of what he is doing is a slippery slope. And as believers, a lot of times we will fall on this slope because we're too busy looking at what we think God should have done that he did not do versus what he's actively and currently doing in our lives. And that's a very slippery slope. It is perfectly normal to take your conflict to God, but we should remain in the attitude that says, God, my faith in you is not dependent upon you giving me an answer. All right, I want to pause there because I want you to get this really good. We have to get to a place where we say, God, my faith in you is not dependent upon you giving me an answer. Sometimes I'm just going to sit here and I'm still going to trust you. And sometimes it's going to be hard, but I'm still going to walk this out. And sometimes I'm going to shed tears, but I'm going to keep on walking. And I'm going to keep on walking by faith, and I'm going to keep on trusting you. Philippians 4, 7 says, and Thad re referenced this last week, but it says, in the peace of God, which transcends, or other version says, surpasses, all understanding 
will guard your heart and mind in Christ Jesus. This is the answer for being out of control. Okay, leave, leave, leave this verse up. This is the answer for being out of control. That the peace of God, which goes above your ability to understand, will guard your heart and guard your mind. See, we are not truly living by faith until we are able to say, this does not have to make sense to me. The situation I'm in does not have to add up. The fact that this person said something or did something or broke my heart or walked out or, or did an action that I would have never approved of, I don't have to make it make sense. The fact that somebody got sick in my family and I couldn't control it does not have to make sense to me. And whatever your storm is, whatever it is that you're walking through, going through, whatever that circumstance is that you reeled in close to your chest this morning that you've pondered this past 20 minutes, you've got to get it filtered by faith to the point that it does not have to make sense to you. Or else you're going to grapple for control your entire life and you're never going to truly understand what it means to just trust the Lord with something. To just open your hand up and say, God, you got this. And I trust you to speak to every storm in my life. And it will be still. And I will know that you are God. He's not asking you to be comfortable. He's not asking you to say, no, 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 don't, don't ever, ever go through life with any fear. He's not asking you that. He's saying, just, just trust me. Just have, have faith. Third, there is a lot of significance in the insignificance. All right, there's a lot of significance in the insignificance. In our hearts today, we believe for God to do the miraculous. Why? Because that's what Scripture tells us that He can do. We've read it page after page after page. We know that there are seasons and times and eras when God's miracles were unfolded and they were, they were available and it was incredible and those stories have rolled all the way forward to you and I this morning. However, there are occasions where we see God get past the big things, the significant things, and move into the insignificant things. I've always tried to find those little things in, in Scripture. Like for you and I, our big list would be that He speaks to the storm right? That you're currently in. You're like, God, I wish you'd come to the bow of my boat right now and speak to the storm in my life currently. Another big thing would be curing cancer. There's some of you right now, all of us have, have seen some impact of cancer, right? You've either battled it, you've lost someone to it. And anytime that word comes out, we, we get fearful. That would be a very, a very big one. Another one is restoring marriages. Say, God, I love this person. I've loved him for two decades. Why can't you just get in this, get involved in it, restore this thing? Those are big things. But then there are very insignificant things. Man, we, we look at this girl's wedding, at the wedding at, at Cana, that this girl had a dream of her perfect day, had thought about it since she was a small child, and she runs out of wine. And he ends up turning 
the whole thing. He, he makes the best wine ever. And the people are going, why did we save the best for last? That's a very insignificant thing. I've told you all this story many times, but when I was growing up, I grew up in the Pentecostal church and my, my, my parents, the whole thing, you know, had, was very strict and we had a lot of things that we had to go by, but, uh, you know, wine was very, very frowned upon. And, and so my mom asked me one day, I was a small boy and she said, Hey, what, what, what'd you learn in Sunday school? And I said that Jesus was a bartender and she about came over the back seat. Don't you talk about the Lord and Savior that way? You know, I mean, it was just terrible. It was an insignificant thing. You think about a floating axe head. How insignificant. Who cares about that? That guy did. He said, it's, it's borrowed. It's not even mine. Very small things. See, there are, there are big things and there are small things. And I, I'm going to encourage you today because he's involved in all of it. He sees the very small things in your life and something small in your life is huge to somebody else. And what's huge to somebody else may, may, may be very small to someone else, but he's still involved in all of it. Why? Because he loves you, and he loves our heart. And he sees it. And when it means something to you, it means something to him. I'm confident that he cares about something in your life today that we may call insignificant. Or you, you may look at, at yourself and say, would you just let, let, let that go? God's got bigger things to deal with. Like, like, like what? Floating axe heads? Let him minister to the small places in your life this morning. Let, let me end. I'm going to give you three ways to apply this today. Okay, quickly. Here, here they are. The first one is this. Don't sabotage yourself. Stay in the boat. If you're here today and you're in conflict and your life is out of control, stop making an exit plan. Okay, this, this is big. Stop wringing your hands. Stop making an exit plan. Stop thinking about how you, you could quit and relieve that, that pressure. Jesus is going to speak over your circumstance. All right, so sometimes it's just smart to be still, to stop panicking, to just take a breath, to take a moment. So in some ways, we need to have some common sense in this. We can make this a lot worse if we start developing exit plans. And common sense is so rare these days that having it is like a superpower. So be wise, be smart, be still. Don't sabotage yourself. Second, don't trust your conflict. Trust what you know by faith. Stop receiving information from conflict start living it out by faith, okay? Now listen, here's the, here's the terrible thing, and that is that distrust can often be a poison that dis disguises itself as a vitamin. So we're taking distrust, we're taking our past experiences, we're taking the question marks, our own, and what we've borrowed from other people, and we take that thing as if it's a vitamin, but it's toxic. And it kills our spirituality, it kills our faith. Trust what you know by faith. And third, don't try and control anything, especially people. All right? Stop being mad at people for not being the person you think they ought to be. You got to let some people go in your mind. You're never going to be able to control other people and their thoughts. 
and their actions. So stop doing it. Trust the Lord with them. Turn those people over to God. Let him speak peace to that. If you've got a family dynamic that's happening right now and you are so tempted to try and control it and get in there and manipulate it and have backdoor conversations and all, just let it go. Let God just speak peace to that. Stop trying to control stuff. And I think if you looked at at your life, some of you this morning, you, you have white knuckles you're holding on to things so hard, trying to have control. And the Lord's telling you, I know you got a storm. And I know that this is hard. And I know you're walking through it right now. But you're going to have to trust me. And I'm going to speak into this. And I want you to just rest in it. Okay? Rest in the middle of that conflict. Rest in the middle of those feelings of being out of control. All right? Let me pray over this morning. Father, I love you.